Hello, ladies and gentlemen. As I speak to you from the van, the fate of the world is undetermined, which is pretty stressful. Um, but the thing is, the weight of the world is always undetermined, so maybe that's just the way things are. Here's what did not happen. After four years of incompetence, rank incompetence, not marginal incompetence, not not as good as it could have been, not, well, he gave it a good try, but he just wasn't up to the job. No, I'm talking about driving the car into the ditch, bouncing off trees, head out the window, uh, just absolutely... I don't know, beyond incompetence. It, it seemed intentionally like he was like he was intentionally trying to destroy this country and destroy its myths. I'll get back to that in a minute. Four years of incompetence, four years of racism, four years of ignorance, four years of narcissism and selfishness and shallowness and outright idiocy. After four years of that, here's what did not happen. The United States, the people of this country, did not rise up as one and vote that motherfucker out of office. And honestly, anything short of that leaves me feeling just profoundly disappointed in my fellow Americans. Which again is kind of where I started out. So maybe same as it ever was, you know. But I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I, I, you've heard me talking about this. Uh, I attributed a lot of the appeal of Donald Trump to a sort of free-floating disgust with the ruling class and the feeling that, okay, here's a guy who is going to shake things up and... Um, we're going to rebuild something better. But if that's what you felt, if that's what people felt after seeing him in action, I think most of them would have said, okay, this is not the guy for that job. This guy's even worse. But somewhere close to half the voters, at least half the voters in some states, uh, didn't feel that way. They felt like, yeah, let's get some more of this. This is good. I like this destruction of the environment. I like this demonization of anyone who's not like me, rich, white, 
I'm digging this. Let's get some more. So, what the fuck do we do now? Well, or or more importantly, how to interpret this? What's happening historically? I read an interesting article this morning in the Atlantic. Uh, or no, it wasn't the Atlantic. Maybe it was Politico. Um, in any case, I posted it on the Reddit, tangentially speaking, Reddit um, community forum board there. And uh, I tweeted it as well. It was about ancient Rome and Julius Caesar and the decline of Rome and it was interesting because the article talked about Caesar coming in and ignoring the norms of of behavior, ignoring the way that uh, Rome's political system had operated, uh, ignored tradition, ignored decorum, which I think is a Latin word going right back to those days, ignored all that and provoked a crisis in the society because, as it turned out, if you're the emperor and you ignore those things, uh, there's no enforcement mechanism. Everyone was just sort of operating on a gentleman's agreement that uh, you would play by the rules that had uh, always been in effect. And when someone comes in and says, nah, fuck the rules, wow, uh, wait a minute, what the fuck are we going to do now? That's never happened before. And so the article goes on and talks about some of the specific steps that um, that were taken to try to control Caesar uh, and then uh, to expel him. And then when he came back at the head of an army and took over again, again, eventually to assassinate him. But uh, it, it kind of the article paints Caesar as the problem. Like, here's this guy who comes along who doesn't follow the rules and, and then everything starts falling apart. To me, I, I'm no expert on Rome, so I don't know if this applies to Rome, but when I look at what is happening in the United States and has been happening here for quite some time, it seems to me that Caesar isn't the problem. The problem is that those rules and those institutions ran out of gas, uh, more specifically ran out of legitimacy. And because they were hollowed out from the inside, as soon as somebody dared to blunder into them they fell down like a movie set turns out there wasn't a building there that was just the painted facade of a building held up by a couple of two by fours and when you back the truck up into it boom it all falls apart i think uh, potemkin village is the the phrase to describe that And so when did those institutions start to uh, bleed, to bleed out? I think 
roughly the time I was born in the early 60s. And I see, I see this whole thing. Uh, I'll try to paint a, a broad picture for you the way I see it. And, and look, I'm no, I, I always say this, you know, I am not an expert on world history, on American history. Uh, there are very few things I consider myself expert in, and uh, none of this falls within my purview. But here we are. I'm talking. You're listening. So I might as well talk, right? Here's the deal. Here's how I see it. This entire situation is uh, is the result of a betrayal of the elites, a, a betrayal by the elites. When I say the elites, I mean the people who have the most money, the people who have the most power. Um, in many cases, the people who have the most education, people who have the most privilege. Those people and the institutions in which they're embedded have betrayed normal people in the United States in a way that they haven't in many other countries, particularly Scandinavian countries, even in Spain, France, even in Italy. Uh, and I've never lived in Italy. I can't comment in much depth there. But what I mean by that is that somewhere around the Vietnam War, you had uh, the beginning of the Vietnam War, you had Kennedy and his team of geniuses, you know, the best and the brightest, that he brought in his Harvard boys, his Yale boys, his Princeton boys, these guys who were so fucking smart. And you had a cabinet of the, the literally called them the best and the brightest who were going to run this country uh, the way it needed to be run. There was great optimism. You know, my parents often compared the um, the election of Obama to the election of Kennedy when they were young. I was born in 62. That was shortly after Kennedy was assassinated. There was great hope. There was great hope that, that these geniuses were going to bring the country into the new age. They were going to take us to the moon. They were going to lead us through incredible technological development and generation of great wealth that was going to be shared. This was going to be the best country in the world. It already was the best country in the world because the rest of them got bombed to shit in World War II. Uh, and our uh, industrial capacity was greatly expanded and at the end of World War II, not only did we have a greatly expanded industrial capacity, but we all our natural competitors were bombed into oblivion. So we kind of were the last man standing there. And, uh, you know, like so many things in American history that Americans give themselves credit for, it was all just dumb luck. From the founding of the country, the, the beginnings of the country, like, oh, here's a, a basically empty continent except for... You know, some Indians who are still here who didn't die in the smallpox that spread all over and killed 80 to 95 percent of the population before we even got here. So basically, we've got an empty continent full of natural resources separated from the rest of the world by two giant oceans. So nobody's going to invade and try to fuck with us. Once we get control of this, holy shit, we're like. 
we're like a like the only mosquito sucking on a bison. Like we, we got all we want here. We can just keep going and going and going. And immigrants, sure, bring in the immigrants because we need cheap labor. And then we'll call ourselves, pat ourselves on the back with a Statue of Liberty because we're so fucking generous. We oh, give us your poor, give us your hungry. Sure, give them to us because they're cheap labor. That's what we need. Not like oh, this is a refuge. This is the, you know, the land of freedom. This is the land of opportunity. Sure, there's opportunity. But for every immigrant who made it, who lived the American dream, probably a thousand toiled in mines and on in fields and, you know, not even counting slavery. They didn't, there's no American dream for the Africans that got shipped over here. Anyway, my point was I'm I'm veering off track here. My point was that in the early 60s, starting with the Kennedy administration, you have these great elites, these teams of elites who are running the country, who are running the corporations, who are running Madison Avenue, just running media, running the whole thing. And for a while, standard of livings were going up. After World War II, in the 50s, in the 60s, wealth was spread around pretty equitably. Things were getting better economically for most people. You could raise a family with a high school education, one job, dad goes off to the factory, stamping out Fords. Uh, you could raise a family. You could have a house with a yard. You could have a couple of cars. You could send your kids to college. But then things started to change. The first thing I would say is the Vietnam War. It was a lie. The whole idea of the war was a lie. Sending all those people over there to kill and be killed, it was all a lie, and then it was too late. It was too late to back out. It was too late to give up. This idea that if America backed out of Vietnam, the world would fall to communism, total nonsense, total paranoia as demonstrated when the United States did back out and the world didn't fall to communism. Just like the all these the paranoia around drug laws. Oh my God, if you legalize cannabis use, you're going to have junkies. Uh, yeah, well, we did it. Didn't happen. Sky didn't fall. No big deal. The only thing that happened is we stopped sending innocent fucking hippies to prison. Stopped destroying lives. Oh, if you legalize gay marriage, next thing you know, people are going to be marrying horses. Well, didn't happen, did it? So many of the things that we're told, oh my God, oh my God, you can't let that because, you know, it's the, it's the uh, domino effect. Well, the fucking dominoes never fall. There are no fucking dominoes. But I'll tell you what did have a domino effect. The betrayal of the American people, the betrayal of the idea of truth. And the elites betraying the common person more and more and more. Right through Clinton signing the fucking trade deals that he knew, they all knew, were going to take those jobs out of Detroit. That guy stamping out Fords was no longer going to be able to send his kids to college. He wasn't going to have a house. That job wasn't going to be there. That job's going to Mexico. So the people in, in Michigan who were working in those factories, the people in Pittsburgh who were working in the steel factories in Pennsylvania, sending the steel to those car factories, all those manufacturing jobs, all those industrial jobs, 
They're going away because it can be done cheaper in China, in Indonesia, in fucking Vietnam, in Mexico. So that's where it's going. Who benefits from that? The people who own the companies, the people who own stock in those companies, not the people who work at those companies. They knew that. NAFTA was sold to the American people on the idea that it was going to make life better for the average person. It did not. They fucking knew it would not. Because it was based upon the same idiocy, the same lies that the Reagan administration was using to talk about trickle-down economics. Give the people at the top more money, it will trickle down to everyone else. It doesn't work that way. You give more money to the people at the top, they keep it. How many fucking cars can a rich person buy? How many houses does a rich person need? Even billionaires only own five or ten houses. They only employ, what, 50 people? That's no good. So, same thing. Clinton, neoliberals, they said, oh yeah, we do this. We ship those jobs to Mexico, but it's going to make things better because cars are going to be cheaper and, you know, the the people who own those stocks are going to get wealthier, but then they'll spend that money on things in America and everything's going to be great. It's all bullshit. And they knew it was bullshit. I don't necessarily blame them for doing these things because I feel like this is the trajectory of the world. And as I've said so many times, we are embedded within this thing. We are not driving it. We're riding the bus. We're not driving the bus. And this is the direction the bus is going. And I don't know what the fuck to do about it. But I do blame the individuals who participated in this lie And didn't acknowledge that they were lying. I blame the people who sent those men and women to Vietnam to die for no fucking reason. I blame the people who sent them to Iraq and Afghanistan to die for no reason other than to make more money for General Electric and Raytheon who build the fucking munition systems that serve no one and kill many. They're not defending freedom in fucking Iraq. They're not defending our freedom in Afghanistan. It's all bullshit. So the elites lied. The elites running the country lied and they fucked the common person. And now what <coughs> excuse me, what we have in the United States is the common person is fucked in 15 different ways. They're fucked because Reagan and and everyone after him cut funding to education, so they don't even know what the hell's going on. As I said before, stupid and ignorant are not the same thing. I'm not saying people in America are stupid. I am saying there is a lot of ignorance in this country. They screwed them on health care, where they allowed the health care system to just descend, devolve into this money-sucking parasite that doesn't make anyone healthier. All it does is suck the money out of everyone, and when you don't have any more money left, you're just abandoned to die basically so they screwed americans on education they screwed americans on health care they screwed americans on diet telling everyone that fat was the problem when sugar was the problem and the fucking elites knew it but they got paid to say otherwise 
they screwed America in turn the Amer- common Americans in terms of their patriotism, using their patriotism, their love of country to send them into harm's way for no good reason. So Americans have been screwed in so many ways, including 10 I'll remember after I finish recording this and I wish I had mentioned, but that's enough to make my point. And they're angry. Of course they're angry. Why shouldn't they be angry? They've seen in a generation or two their standard of living drop precipitously. And so some douchebag like Donald Trump can come along and say things like, I'm going to get your coal mining jobs back, even though the world has moved on from coal mining. No one's going to bring coal mining jobs back. But he can say things like that. And he can come up with this ridiculous slogan like, make America great again. And people hear it. People hear it because they remember or they've heard from their father or their grandfather that a generation or two back, we lived better. We were better. We had dreams. We believed in shit. Nobody believes in anything now. We exist in the absence of the sacred. Nothing sacred. And a large part of the reason nothing is sacred is because the elites have abandoned their own belief in the sacred. They've sold out. So we have a situation where evangelical Christians support a guy who probably hasn't been to church in his adult life, who's been married three times, who's an admitted adulterer, who's probably responsible for half a dozen abortions, who cheats on his taxes, who cheats on his wife, who lies, and they support him. Why do they support him? Because they don't give a fuck about Jesus. They don't give a fuck about what Jesus had to say. They care about power. They're sick. Everyone who cares about power is sick. Because if you're healthy... You let other people live their lives as long as they don't interfere with yours. You don't give a shit. When you get obsessed with how other people are living their lives, what other people believe, there's something wrong with you. So we've lost the sacred of religion. We've lost the sacred aspects of patriotism, of taking care of each other, the sacred feeling of community. It's all gone. So what's left? Money and power. And this flimsy internet fame everyone's looking for. Surface. Superficiality. So I don't know who's going to win this election, but... I think we've all lost in the sense that the American dream is over. It's time to wake up. And what we're waking up to is not pretty. Even if Biden wins, it's Biden. It's the guy who made it impossible to cancel student debt. Although you can cancel every other kind of debt with bankruptcy, but not student debt. Thanks, Joe. 
Credit card companies love you for that one. The banks love you. Love you, dude. Uncle Joe. Anyway, systemically, what underlies this betrayal of the common American, the average American by the elites, is, in my opinion, corporate power. And again, you've heard me talk about this, so I won't go on and on about it, but essentially, the United States is the country as far as major countries go, I believe it's the country that's most defenseless against corporate power because it has the least amount of entrenched cultural norms. By that, what I mean is that there's no Costco in Barcelona. There's no Safeway in Barcelona. There's no big box store in Barcelona. Ikea is... Probably the closest thing to a big box store, and that's about 15 miles from Barcelona. And that's not an accident. The reason is that the people in Barcelona have explicitly voted against and blocked any of those big stores in the city because they know that when those big stores set up in the city, what they're going to do is drain the life out of the small stores. They're going to kill all those mom-and-pop shops. They're going to kill the open markets. They're going to kill the things that make living in Barcelona so enjoyable. Yes, they bring in efficiency, and yes, they're a little cheaper, but they kill the vibrancy of the city. And people know that in Spain. And so they stopped it. People in America didn't really understand what was happening when Walmart started. And, and, and America is, was already very vulnerable to that sort of thing because we don't have this history. We don't have this culture. We, things have been changing and, and liquid since the beginning. And we don't have this idea that, that this is not the way to live. And in some cases, as I've said before, that's led to great innovation and an artistic freedom that's that's amazing. But the downside, and it's a big downside, is that there's no consensus to push back against corporate interests. We're divided. We're a divided country, and we've always been a divided country. Divided between the most recent immigrants and the generation before that and the generation before that and the generation before that. Divided between whites and blacks. Class divisions are much deeper here than they are in other countries. A rich American is 20 times richer than a rich Spaniard, and a poor American is much poorer than a poor Spaniard. Or French person or Italian person, or German person, or Swedish, or Danish, or Dutch. And that division works in the favor of the corporations because the corporations are unified. They know what they want. And if there's no united front to resist them, they're going to take what they want. And they have. They own the American government. That's why those wars are happening. It's not fucking freedom. It's because it makes sense for corporations. They're making money. They're protecting 
trade routes and sources of natural resources and profit margins that require more planes to be built, more bombs to be built, more missiles, more research. That's why that shit's happening. America doesn't have any fucking enemies in Yemen. We create the enemies so we can make the money. Anyway, what do we do? Well, if you're not in America, if you're in Australia listening to me or in Europe, fucking protect what you have because they're coming for you. They're already there. You know, the uranium mines in Australia. The corporate interests are everywhere. But you guys have a better shot. Or at least another decade or two before they get as out of control as they are here. And for us in the U.S., I don't know what to do. I feel like I woke up this morning thinking I had this image in my mind of like living in the time of the dinosaurs. Now, your your uh, Sunday school pastor might tell you that humans lived in the time of the dinosaurs, but we didn't. Hundreds of millions of years between the dinosaurs and the first humans. But living in the world of corporations and, and corporate rule, it does sort of feel like living in the world of the dinosaurs. You can't, what are you going to do? You can't fight them. So I figure there are only two options. One is stay mobile, be able to move. If the fuck, if you hear dinosaurs coming your way, get the fuck out, go somewhere else. Stay out of their way because standing up to them doesn't work. Or the other option is find a place where dinosaurs don't go. Find a place where there's no dinosaur food. Kind of like where I'm sitting right now. There's not much here for them. It's empty. And, uh, yeah, closest thing to any dinosaurs here are the potato farms out in the valley. And they're coming for the water. There's a an aquifer here that they keep coming for. But luckily, the local people fight them off every decade or so. Eventually, they'll lose. But apparently, there's no gas under the under the ground here, so there's no fracking going on. Uh, it's a beautiful place, but you can't really sell the beauty, so they don't want to come and ruin that. It's not really much to take here. So maybe find yourself some remote, empty place that doesn't have any dinosaur food and uh, build your lifeboat. Buy some land. Get your friends out there. Get some chickens. Get some goats. Get some yaks. Grow some weed. Grow some veggies. Grow whatever you need. And uh, take care of each other. Because shit's getting bumpy and it's going to get much, much bumpier very soon. Or, and maybe these are complementary strategies, 
Um, but even if you do have a place like that, you might still have to run and hide because they might come for you. And if they do come for you, there's not much you can do, as I said. So maybe you'll have to go to Uruguay or go to Ecuador or go to Europe or go to wherever they'll take you. If you can get citizenship somewhere else, if you're an American and your grandfather was born in Ireland or something or in Italy or your grandmother, I think it's second generation in most countries, you can get a passport. And I would strongly recommend you do that so you have a back door. Yeah. Cheerful. Anyway, that's what I've been thinking. Uh today and <laughs> yesterday and the day before it's been half an hour of me ranting about this shit uh i think i've tried your patience enough i'm gonna play you out with a song called morning in america which is um, a bit of a joke of course it was the slogan that ronald reagan used in 1980 when he defeated jimmy carter and uh in many ways accelerated the descent into madness I mean, fuck, Jimmy Carter wanted to bring America into the metric system. Maybe that's like emblematic of the whole problem, right? He looked at the world and said, this is bullshit. I mean, cups and ounces and fluid ounces and pounds. and like The metric system makes so much sense. It'll make life easier. It'll be more efficient. It'll be better for everyone. Let's join the world, America. And Ronald Reagan came in and said, fuck that. We're America. We do it our way. Let the world adapt to us. It's morning in America, yo. Turns out it wasn't. Uh, anyway, this song is called Morning in America. It's by uh, Duran Jones and the Indications. D-U-R-A-N-D. Durand. Jones and the Indications. I promise I'll be in a better mood next time. Uh, maybe or maybe not. But in any case, I'll be more used to it by then. A little less jagged and raw. I hope you're doing okay wherever you are. And uh, people keep writing to me and asking, what is this lifeboat you're talking about? Where are you? What are you doing? I'm in a little town in Colorado, and there are lots of little towns like this around the country, so it doesn't really matter, you know, which one I'm in. Um, but I will talk about this place specifically in more detail down the road. If you've been paying attention, you know where I am anyway. Um, but I'm just, I'm not uh, talking about it too much publicly because, you know, I'm trying to give my uh, my closest friends a chance to come in and, and buy some land before... Um, you know, word gets out too much and prices go up and all that. So uh, I will speak more specifically about that in the coming months. So stay tuned if you're interested in, in more specific information. But basically the idea is the same, right? Just find a place where you and people you love and trust can take care of each other and, um, you know, ride this thing out. Because it does sort of seem, it very much seems like we are in the waning days of the American empire and uh, empires tend to collapse uh, with a lot of rubble and smoke and violence. So if you can get away from that, uh, that might be a good idea. 
especially now that everyone's learned about remote working and you don't need to go to the fucking meeting. You can, as long as you have some internet, you can connect with people you need to connect with. Yeah, the world's changing. Not everything's bad. Some things are getting better. We'll see. Anyway, thanks for listening to this. Uh, this is Duran Jones and the Indication singing Morning in America. Love y'all. Bye. Jacksonville